electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, a new proposal to nix non-competes. Why the Federal Trade Commission wants to change contracts for blue-collar, white-collar, and all workers in between. FTC Chair Lena Khan in a rare interview. Our economists calculated that collectively, American workers are earning around $300 billion less because of these non-competes, and that on the whole, innovation and entrepreneurship are suffering. And another day, another vote in the House Speaker stalemate. McCarthy's been stuck at 91 percent of, of the Republican caucus for these 11 votes, 91 percent. Those stories today, plus a big plunge for Bed Bath & Beyond's memeness and a big occasion. Something delicious, something you want. Oh, that's just what I need. It's January 6th, 2023. It's a weird day now, is it not? Happy it's birthday. It's your birthday. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Welcome back. It's Friday, and I think we're all ready for Friday at this point. On this vote, the yeas are 219, the nays are 213. The motion is adopted. Accordingly, the House stands adjourned until noon tomorrow. Meantime, in Washington, the fight it ain't over yet. The House of Representatives now voted 11 times with no movement towards a winner in the speaker race, but reports saying the Congressman Kevin McCarthy and some of his opponents appear to be nearing a deal. Uh, sources now telling the Journal that negotiations centered on committee appointments for the Freedom Congress and changes to how exactly that Congress would operate, including the ability to amend legislation and how and when uh, lawmakers would vote on spending bills. Now, McCarthy struck a hopeful tone after the 11th vote failed. No, no, I'm not putting any timeline. I just think we've got some progress going on. We've got members talking. Uh, I think we've got a little movement, so we'll see. House plans to return to the chamber at noon today, so we'll see what happens. Meantime, Representative uh, Matt Gates says is now the leader of the so-called Never Kevin group, nominated former President Donald Trump for the position of House Speaker. I rise to nominate Donald Trump for the position of Speaker of the House. And for all of the vitriol that we hear from the media and at times the left, there were great moments of bipartisanship under the Trump presidency. Interestingly, and this was a lesson for me, I did not know this before, I don't know if you guys did, but the Constitution does not require that the Speaker be an elected member of the House, although every Speaker thus far has been one. Well, that's why I asked Jay Clayton if he was available. And Lee Zeldin's name has been thrown back and forth for, for the last month. Yeah, about. I really appreciate it. That was like a real thing. Even the parliamentarian. Yeah. It's, uh, and look, I, I, I don't think that you're going to find someone who's not an elected uh, member of the House who's no, actually it won't in this happen. position, but 
you know, it's an option. The other thing that I think is interesting, we, we talked about this briefly yesterday when we had the two members of the Problem Solvers Caucus on. Mm -hmm. Is there a point where McCarthy has given so much away to these people who still won't vote for him that he starts to lose some of the more moderate right. members that, who are there? And that, that people have raised that, yeah. And that's, it, well, we're down to one person can now ask during it, and that's what he's been holding out on. One, whole thing. one person can ask to unseat the, the speaker, right, so how are you ever going to get anything you, done? Right. Well, they, that's not. Is this just the wrong person to begin with? Once you get to that point, if, if you're at that point, does that mean that the whole thing is Andy Biggs got, Andy Biggs, the leader of the opposition, got 30 votes in November. He, the, McCarthy's been stuck at 91% of, of the Republican caucus for these 11 votes. 91%. Now, you know, the Democrats are included too, so it wouldn't be 91%. But have you ever heard of a a body where you get 91% and that's not enough to where you assume the leadership position. I've always thought he probably uh, would prevail. And these guys, because it's going to get to, there'll be four. Matt Gates will never vote for him. I don't know whether, it's, I think Perry might at some point. I think Boebert would. I think there's four or five. But. Four or five that never will. A lot of Republicans, one guy's going for a medical appointment. He's not going to be there today. There's other people that have uh, family matters. So suddenly the, the whole dynamic changes on, on what number right. would you get you there. But we're at a point where he's given so many concessions that if you don't do it now, it's very clear. It's never happening. No, it's just very clear that you have a, a personal problem oh, yeah, yeah. with Kevin McCarthy. And, it's, and, and, and that, I don't know if people are finally going to be comfortable owning that to where they're just being so stubborn and it has nothing to do with policy. It's totally about them. And at that point, I, I think they, they start looking bad. And maybe that's, that's I, where look, it I think if you're doing this and you're saying, I want committee chairmanship positions and I want right. X, Y, and Z. And, and you get all 9 that. 9% of the caucus, 9% of the caucus holding the other 91%. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the hostage. And those people saying, wait a second, why, why should the, you cave to these people? I'm not going to. You know, people can't get paid. People can't. Well, nothing's there's, happening. There's, there's situations of extreme measures in California with the weather. And if there's the need for federal funding, they can't get anything passed. I mean, this, there are real consequences to these things. Um, new overnight. It's January 6th, too, which is a weird day now. Is it not? Happy birthday. It's your birthday. Well, it, Happy it was. Birthday. I hope someday <laughs> that this... January 6th is known for that, rather than what all of us think of now when we say January. It used to be the epiphany when the, the, you know, the three wise men come, they bring gifts and all this stuff. It was an important, in Christianity, it's an, it was an important day. It's totally been supplanted by this, you know, something that, that, that some people say was worse than September 11th, which... I, I don't think it's worse, but it's just weird. So maybe someday. But if you think, Sorkin, that the universe doesn't have a sense of humor. But right. Was that my birthday present? I was looking at Kate McKinnon has her birthday today. Kate McKinnon. I was just looking at the... the, the Sydney Sorkin, close. Close. Two days ago. We, um, I was just looking through the list of, of, other, of other famed, famed folks. Julie Chen's birthday is today. Uh, I'm right. I think I'm right there with her almost. I mean, I, can you find anyone better than that? I mean, come on. Um, no one, no one. No, there are some good ones. I think uh, um, Norman Reedus. Norman Reedus has a birthday today. Uh, Henry Kravis. Is Henry Kravis's birthday today? I, I got another one, too. Uh, Eric Trump. Rowan Atkinson. You remember him? <laughs> Who's Rowan Atkinson? Is that Mr. Mr. Bean? Mr. Bean. Mr. Yeah. Bean, the actor. 
I, I remembered, I've looked before. There are some, uh, yep, yeah, there Trump disappeared. New overnight uh, Samsung Electronics warning that its quarterly profit tumbled by 69% to an eight year low in a preliminary earnings statement. Sorkin, Bed Bath & Beyond, man. I know. What are we going to do? Bed Bath & Beyond. Why don't we buy it out of, the, out of bank? They're not going to, I mean, we can still go, right? They're not going to close it just because it's. They'll, they'll close some of them. Maybe our favorite are, ones. Are the one where we. Samsung said that revenue likely fell 9% year over year. The full results are due January 31st. Samsung said uh, it saw particular weakness in its memory and smartphone businesses, but uh, that stock closed higher in South Korean trading. A follow-up to a story we told you about first yesterday. Shares of Bed Bath & Beyond are plunging once again, extending yesterday's losses on reports that the company is planning to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection within a matter of weeks. We should note that the company's market capitalization is now below $150 million. Yesterday we pointed it out that it was below $200 million, but you can see that stock down another 20 cents, which is a decline of almost 12%. Is that, was that a meme stock too? Yeah. For a while. For a while. Are Brian any meme Cohen. stocks doing okay? This, how's the apes? How they doing? Take a look at, take a look at AMC. How the apes doing? Yeah, Kill, put, still killing it. Put, yeah, put it up on the screen for people. No, don't do Show that. Don't GameStop. Doesn't take much. Get the, those apes agitated. Um, there it is. Three dollars and eighty-eight cents. Killing it. Yeah. Okay. Diamond hands. Good if you bought it. Less than that. All right. Sure. Be in it for a while. FTC Chair Lena Khan is going to join us first in a CNBC interview to talk about. That big news proposal that you just made yesterday that would limit the use of non-compete clauses by employers across the country could have a huge impact on business. I have a friend. You have a friend who has who a non-compete? Who has a contract. With a non-compete. Yes. And he tells me she, it could be yep. he, it could be she, can't go to a competing network. They're in the TV business? They're in the TV business. I see. Because in their contract. Right. It says they can't go anywhere. They can't go anywhere. Right. Are you telling me? I am telling I you. Can na- uh, no, are you telling me that this person could yeah. now? Possibly. I, I don't know if it's for people who have contracts that have been negotiated separately. I think it's the more of what they're going after is what, if what, you go to a. Are hair you going to find out? Yeah, he's going to find out. We're, we're, but if you go to find a hair out. salon, is it, a lot you know of what? This is never going to. It's not going to stand up. Well, so here's the thing. There's going to be a six. Not going to stand up. Well, it might. So there's going to be a sixty-day comment period, and we'll talk to Lena Khan about it. And then, of course, she can put she can implement the rule. Then I imagine you are 100 percent right. I mean, uh, the Chamber of Commerce and others have already said that you're going to come out and, and I imagine go to court to try to. There's block a good the rule. reason to have this. Has it been around 100 years or something? It's, so it's abused in some circumstances. I can say there's. But, a huge so it's, abuse. it's abused with rank, rank and file yes. people who don't have company seats. Right, and I think that's what the true intent of it is. Um, you could argue that some of these contracts, that companies are paying effectively for the right to stop you from from doing other work but yeah. in a lot of these jobs it, it, they're not paying you for that right not, at all and they're not paying right. you much at all and so, you go in and it's a hair salon so and I they should, say you got to sign this before you work here and then okay. you can't work anywhere in a 25 mile radius we'll, we'll see all right, i said tell ari just to cool to calm down there's nothing well, i mean you not, should tell your friend to tell ari oh, yeah, cool that's what, no, no 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 that's what i meant right tell my friend yeah. to tell, okay okay cheese will be next the non-compete conversation continues up next on Squawk Pod, and hopefully Joe's friend gets some clarity before the next contract time. Federal Trade Commission Chair Lena Khan on easing corporate concerns. There are alternative tools to non-competes that you can use to protect legitimate trade secrets, legitimate IP, 
So you can use non-disclosure agreements that can be tailored. Uh, we also have trade secrets law. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick uh, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, Andrew has uh, got his jacket on. Um, you are in a different studio. Studio B, you got a big interview coming up that uh, could be uh, really, <laughs> I'm kidding again, could be groundbreaking about uh, about non-competes. Non-competes. I've got a lot of questions for your friend, Joe. That, I got this friend. I got yes. this friend who I know you have a friend. is locked into something, and this, this could change everything. You- Andrew. Okay. Meantime, I want to get right to our first big interview of the morning. The Federal Trade Commission proposing a rule that would ban employers from requiring their workers to sign non-compete contracts. The FTC says the provision would stop workers from freely switching jobs and would shrink the talent pool available to businesses. President Biden spoke about the proposal during a cabinet meeting yesterday. It's one thing to say you have you can't work at a inside in a technology company on a special project that has scientific consequences and move to another company without a non-compete agreement. It's another thing to say you, you're working for uh, Subway and you can't walk across the street and uh, uh, go to Jimmy John's and get a 20 cent raise. What tells that all about other than keeping wages down? And do these agreements block millions of retail workers, construction workers, and other working folks from taking better jobs? Joining us right now, first right here on CNBC, is FTC Chair Lena Connick. Great to see you. Great to be here. This is a huge proposal and would have a, a big impact both on the amount of money uh, that people make uh, and really society at large. Speak to sort of what it means and how you got here, because there's a lot of questions about what, it, you know, what could happen and also the kind of legal challenges that may come. So non-compete clauses today govern around one in five U.S. workers. These clauses may have started in the boardroom, but today what we see is that they've proliferated across sectors and across income levels. So we're talking about nurses, we're talking about fast food workers, janitors, but also physicians and engineers. And we've now seen that in the aggregate, these clauses can really restrict competition, both in labor markets, but also in product markets. And so our economists calculated that collectively, American workers are earning around $300 billion less because of these non-competes, and that on the whole, innovation and entrepreneurship are suffering. Now, there are some states that have tried to block these before, but this would be at the federal level. So that's why this is such a big deal. 
it is just a proposal at the moment. There'll be 60 days now for folks to comment, and then you can decide what to do. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce already came out and said they are against this and effectively uh, plan to take legal action. So again, we think that this is going to be a huge boon to the economy. I think you know the American experiment is built on open markets and free competition, and that's what this would promote. So I don't want to say there's two kinds of, of workers in America, uh, but is this aimed at, as the president said, you know, the nurses, the hairdressers, folks who are just taking, taking jobs, they're not getting paid extra for these non-competes, if you will. I mean, we could, just, we could probably debate the, whether you're getting paid extra or not. Or these focused on, you know, we have a lot of folks who are bankers on Wall Street uh, who, who follow us. Or by the way, I'm in the TV business. We have contracts. I can't go uh, off to uh, ABC and CBS tomorrow. Does it impact everybody? At this stage, it impacts everybody, with the exception of uh, the sale of a business. So if you're buying or selling a business, you can have a non-compete in that context. But in em employment contracts, it's, it's across the board. And there are a couple of reasons for that. I think you're right that in the low-wage context, uh, where there aren't any you know, particularly sensitive investments or, in, or information that companies are trying to protect, these are most difficult to justify. Right. Um, they can be coercive, they can be exploitative, uh, and that's where you also see wages depressed. Interestingly, we see wages depressed not just for people who are directly subject to non-competes, but even for workers that are not. Because if one worker is locked into a job, that means there's one less job available for somebody else to come into. And so there are economy-wide effects. At the When you're talking about executives and engineers and, and tech workers, for example, or those in finance, what we've seen is that these types of restrictions are basically depriving the market of new ideas and of innovation um, because people are locked in. They can't go start even a competing business. What do you say to somebody who, who, who a criti uh, the critique of this would just say, OK, there's a free market and the employer effectively is paying for the privilege. They are paying you effectively for the non-compete, meaning meaning people. People can agree to contracts, and one of, the con one of the contractual terms may very well be, I'm going to pay you a little bit extra, or, may or whatever you think is appropriate, so that you don't go off and work for my competitor tomorrow. Yeah, in theory, I think we've seen that um, people suggest there is that premium. I think we don't always see that in practice. Uh, sometimes employers are actually imposing these on workers even after they've agreed to a job. I think what we've also seen is that on net, this can be bad for competition in ways that we should be concerned about regardless. At the FTC, sometimes we hear from founders who were able to secure capital, they were looking to enter a market, they were able to build the factory, but at the end of the day, they weren't able to build and scale because all the relevant workers, the talent, was locked up. And I think when you look at states like California, that for decades have rendered non-competes non-enforceable, I think you can see that there can be a right. huge boon to innovation and competition. What about the idea of trade secrets? So part of this, and a lot of this comes from, from tech, where people have a view that there are folks who are engineers or others, or, or in, in healthcare, who have trade secrets. They know stuff. And so you don't want them to be able to go across the street and take either the trade secrets themselves or even sort of a, a, adjacent knowledge, if you will, in the immediate term, at least, right? It's not necessarily just the trade secret unto itself. It's, you know what, even if they don't tell the other employer exactly what the other guys, they know too much, and that has value, at least in the first six months to a year out from that job, so we want to hold you away from having that happen for some period of time or what have you. Look, it's a reasonable concern, and at this stage, what we've seen is that there are alternative tools 
to non-competes that you can use to protect legitimate trade secrets, legitimate IP. So you can use non-disclosure agreements that can be tailored. Uh, we also have trade secrets law, right? Uh, employers bring hundreds of lawsuits a year right. to enforce trade right. secrets. The conundrum there is that's after the fact. It, it's typically, when I say after the fact, it's typically after somebody has arguably uh, taken a trade secret and used it. And so the employer has been, quote unquote, injured, right? They're having to show injury this, the, one of the reasons they have non-competes or these type of uh, arrangements is to prevent even getting into a position where, they're, where they have to show injury first, right? That's right. That we've also seen instances in which you know, people break non-competes, they, they go anyway, and right. employers are having to enforce after the fact anyway. But at this stage, our thesis is that there are these alternative mechanisms that would still protect legitimate trade secrets, protect IP, but not have such a drag on the economy in the way right. that we see non-competes do. What do you say to those who say, look, the FTC actually doesn't even have the authority to put this rule into place, that Section 5, and we can get into details of what that is, doesn't really allow for this, and this if ever got to the Supreme Court, especially given the politics of how you think about the Supreme Court today, that this is uh, dead in the water before it starts. Look, Congress gave the FTC the authority to check unfair methods of competition. Uh, they told us that we could do that through a variety of ways, uh, through bringing lawsuits, but also through bringing rules, uh, through, through issuing market-wide rules. And so we're confident that the, the text and, and structure of the FTC Act gives us clear right. authority to do this. Um, there have been times where you have proposed rules, um, they've had a comment period, and then you have not enacted those rules. How do you think about that? Yeah, it's a great question. So as you noted, this is a proposed rule. Uh, we've put out a proposal. We're going to be collecting comments for 60 days. The proposed rule is based on our survey of the available evidence. Right. But we also include a set of questions that we're inviting the public to comment on. So once people have finished commenting, we're going to look at that full record and determine what's the best way to go forward. So we really encourage people, uh, be it employers, be it startups, entrepreneurs, workers, uh, to submit comments and, and help us decide how to proceed. Do you worry, I, this is what I always think about, especially uh, when you think about either bringing a case or not bringing a case, whether you have more power, oddly enough, in not either proposing a rule or bringing a case against a company in some ways, because people are scared of you uh, if you... <laughs> And, and that that power actually has, has its own regulatory effect, right? Because people say, I'm not, I'm either I'm not going to do this merger or I'm not going to do this thing because I don't, I don't want the FTC to come after me, as opposed to actually bringing the case and then actually having to argue it because the, the possibility of losing the case could open the floodgates in other ways. Yeah, look, Congress charged us with enforcing the law, and so we take that seriously. If we see a law violation, we have an obligation to, to address that. Um, I think you're right that deterrence is important. Right. Uh, we want companies to be, by default, respecting the law, abiding by the law, and so in as much as uh, the fact that there are cops on the beat is, right. is creating deterrence, that's a good thing. Um, I have two additional questions uh, that, not curveballs per se, but I don't know if you'll be able to answer them because uh, there's at least one of them is ongoing, which is a lot of folks focused on Microsoft and Activision. And, and I know you probably can't speak to the case itself, but I, I have a question about the broader context, which is how tech companies should now think about mergers in the, in the context of these, what historically were non-adjacent businesses, what's so unusual or unique about this particular transaction and your, your decision to, to pursue uh, breaking it up effectively or preventing it from happening, is that historically by this sort of antitrust math, you, you wouldn't necessarily say that, that Microsoft had a uh, too big a stake in that, in that space. But, but in this case you are. 
Do you think that if you're a board member or a CEO today of a company, you have to think about antitrust differently? So it's interesting you say historically, because historically, Congress actually told us to look at all mergers, not right. just horizontal competitors, but also vertical mergers. And so in as much as we're kind of reactivating the law there, um, I think that's absolutely fair game. And, and again, there's, you know, decades of precedent uh, from the courts across the country that explain what types of vertical mergers may be illegal or, or legal. We're also in the process of currently revising our merger guidelines. This, this is our core enforcement manual that lays out how we look at deals. And so once we're able to publish that in the coming months, that should give more clarity as well. Uh, but in the other question relates to that, which is about timing. Um, a lot of deals have a timing triggers. They have a calendar to them. And uh, depending on when you come in, it can sometimes unto itself scuttle a deal uh, irrespective, if you will, of uh, whether you can actually get to court because it just doesn't make sense anymore to actually pursue a deal. How do you think about that? So we primarily think about the deal before us. Is it legal? Right. Is it illegal? Are we obligated to bring a challenge here? Uh, you know, how that fits within the timeline of that the parties have sat out between themselves is, is less relevant right. to us directly. Uh, and then finally, you're a Twitter user? I am. Still? <laughs> Still on there. Still on there. Uh, what do you think is happening at Twitter? And the reason I ask is because there is obviously that consent decree and you've, you've, you've uh, looked at them hard over the years and now there's a new owner uh, who may have some different views about how to do this. Yeah, I can't speak to the specifics of, of anything relating to the Twitter consent decree. Um, I will say that, you know, there's been an enormous amount of learning over the last decade where consent decrees that we're now pursuing are much more specific about the types of business practices that might be prohibited. Uh, we also are willing to, to name individual executives if we see that they played a direct role in order violations. And so we're really looking to give our enforcement teeth. So when, when we've seen reports and uh, employer employees of Twitter, or at least former employees of Twitter, raise questions about whether the company is following the consent decree, for example, uh, what goes on inside the FTC on those days? Well, I'll just say we have a public page where anybody can reach out to us and report to us uh, any wrongdoing that they're seeing uh, within right. the company or, or from a company. And so uh, we monitor that, monitor that quite closely. Do you, do you DM with Elon Musk ever? <laughs> that's, that's a no comment, folks. <laughs> Lita Khan, thank you. Thanks so Appreciate much. It. It's great to see you. Good to see you. Appreciate it. Take care. Next on Squawk Pod, birthday, bacon, and a Bloody Mary. I'm fair, balanced, and unafraid. I'm going to drink that. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC on a special day. Becky's mic. Cute. We want to wish Joe a happy birthday. Oh, boy. Something delicious, something you want. Oh, that's just what I need. It's not a cake. Uh, I hope it's not food. Turn around. Happy birthday, Joe. Whoa. <laughs> now you're in. Whoa. How long, does bacon, how long does bacon last? What is in this? I will. And I, Looks and, like some hair of the dog. And I'm not afraid. I'm uh, not afraid. Fair ba I'm fair balanced and unafraid. I'm going to drink that. Wow. It, it, it's lighter on top. No. Oh, it's Vir ice. Virgin.
if anyone can get to Times Square um, quickly, we've got a lot of bacon. A lot, a, lot of bacon, of bacon. a lot of bacon uh, left. I'm a little worried that putting the invite out there, there's that, a lot of bacon might, lovers. I mean, I have four dogs, but I don't think bacon and dogs, like in, every, anything in moderation, right? Or, or, or I'm going to have a... You might have to call have security a, have because there could be a lot of folks. Happy birthday, Joe. Thank you. Happy birthday. Please. The bacon. This bacon. is the I'll start of a, a bacon cake. It's never been done before. Wow. Start of a new trend. I think it's going to catch on. And that is Squawk Pod for today and for the week, this first week of the new year. Squawk Box is hosted by our birthday boy, Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and get the very best of our show when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you like to listen to podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.